they could have asked for a dollar and it would have been all the money I had in the world. So, so I took this, like for me, huge risk. I decided that my, my money was going to be based on the idea of kindness. Hey, what's up? This is Culture Hustlers. I'm your host, Lucas Spivey, and I have been interviewing artists, performers, designers, writers, and makers on how they went full hustle. Across a dozen U.S. cities, we have heard from a mix of hustlers from a Project Runway winner to an Art Prize winner, from a mom-and-pop embroidery shop to an erotic poet who will perform in your bedroom. This is the final episode of the first season which was all about how artists create value in the world. For season two, we're looking at the other side of the equation. How does the world value artists? How do they spend their money on art, fashion, film, food, furnishings, books, music, design, all that stuff? And why? What gets them to open up their wallet for art? More on that and more on season two at the end of this episode. Today, for our final episode of season one, we are in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's kind of pretty weird how we got here. Back in September of 2016, I was driving across the U.S. on a beta voyage with my rolling recording studio, now known as the Mobile Incubator. At that time, it was just just a trailer. A friend told me to go check out this printmaker guy named Bryce McLeod, who runs a cool public art and printmaking business in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, we rolled up to his shop in the Pytown neighborhood, and Bryce wasn't home. But I swore next time I made it to Nashville, I would look this guy up. And two years later, I got my chance. I was on a long route from Atlanta to Detroit, and I was going to go through Nashville. And the thing about Nashville is it's the one cheap place to fly out of, and I really needed to fly back to Boston. So I reached out to Bryce, and I said, hey, I'm coming to town and I want to interview you, but I'm coming to town like right now and do you have a parking spot for a week? He said, yeah. So I got into town at like one in the morning and I parked it in front of the shop and I literally flew out immediately in the middle of the night. And so at this point, I still have never met Bryce, but every day he's looking out his window and seeing the mobile incubator just parked there, like, who is this guy? <laughs> I'm going to have to interrupt this story to tell you a different story. So at this point, I'm in Boston, and I'm coming back to Nashville, and I need to have some signage made for when I get back to Nashville. So I call a local sign shop, and this guy named Jason answers. And he says, hey, man, cool, looks good, send me the graphics. I send him the graphics, and he's like, culture hustlers, what the hell is that? So in order to explain it, I just send Jason a photo of the mobile incubator. I'm like, here's what it is. I tell him all about it. Awesome, he says. Well, the very next morning, I get a text from Bryce. And it's a photo of a dude with a backward blue cap standing in front of the mobile incubator outside his shop. And Bryce says, hey, small world, this is the guy you just ordered your signs from. So apparently, Jason and Bryce are working together on a project. Well, no surprise that Jason and Bryce know each other because Bryce seems like the nicest dude in existence. So when I sit down to edit this episode, I'm looking at this photo of Jason, and he's stunting like super hard in front of the incubator, like he's leaning really far backward and put his arms out in front. 
because he's holding up this little poster to the camera. Like he's really selling this poster. And I zoom in on the poster, trying to make out the details, and it, it looks like a money bag, like, like one of those sacks of gold that they used in like old movies about bank heists with like the big dollar sign on it. But instead of a big dollar sign, it just says, invest in kindness. And that is what Bryce is all about. Bryce and artists like him get a return on investing in kindness. How does what goes around actually come back around? And, and talking with thousands of artists, there's a part to every one of their business models that I call allies. And allies are more than clients. They're, they become more than your customers, more than your friends, and more than your fans. Allies are people who not only believe in your art or want to support your business, they believe in you. Oh, and by the way, I'm releasing a workbook called Assets and Allies on this very topic, and Bryce is one of the case studies in it. So go ahead and check that out at culturehusters.com. Hey, my name is Bryce McLeod. I run a place called Isle of Printing. We do public art and letterpress, and I also happen to be the mayor of Pie Town, Nashville, Tennessee. Well, this young man was born in Nashville, Tennessee, and then I grew up my whole childhood in a little town called Hendersonville, Tennessee, which is about, used to be, I always used to say 15 minutes north of Nashville, but... Not anymore? I don't think it is anymore. It's like, you know, with continental drift and everything, it's been... (laughs) (laughs) Or just the traffic? Or traffic. Anyway, I, I grew up in this very suburban community and sort of an idyllic childhood. Two parents, a sister, a dog. Well, we had a couple, you know, but mutts. Yeah, just we never went and bought a dog. They were always strays. Thinking about that makes me think about something that's really important in my childhood, which is I feel like my parents were always taking in strays. Mm, like, like people, people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom was a... like. She was a teacher before I was born, and then she worked at this place called the American Cancer Society when I was a kid. And it was on Music Row here in Nashville. And back then, there were these on Music Row, there were flop houses and all these kind of like down on their luck songwriters who had drinking problems. What years are we talking about here? This would have been like the late 70s, early 80s. Just and a lot of people who were trying to hack it in Nashville? I guess. As yeah. songwriters, but also had. Yeah, I just remember it. Like, I was a little kid, but I remember, like, she would take me over to this place across the street from her job as a child, and no one described it as a flop house to me, but, you know, it smelled like cat pee, and mm. and there was just, like, a bunch of, like, dudes living in. And Why were you there? She, she just wanted to show you, uh, like, that well, world? She, she was friends with this guy um, who was a songwriter, and so she took care of like i feel like she took care of him and you know we would like go and make sure he was mm. all right and he would come and visit us and so do you think that influenced like your relationship with creative people maybe yeah i mean i i think i i actually never really talked about this with anybody but um my dad was the same way he was a traveling salesman and like every once in a while he would just like find somebody on the street and like bring them home um, and my mom, when she taught, she she intentionally taught like the kids who were at risk. And there was mm. there was these brothers who didn't have any parents and like were raising themselves and like they lived with us for a little while. Um, and I mean, you know, if I'm perfectly honest. I was like, 
kind of annoyed as a kid. I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> what about me? Like, yeah, I was like, I'm your son. Yeah, um, it had to have had an impact on me because I feel like these days, like, well, I'm trying okay. to do the same thing. L- l- like, yeah, like literally last night, I'm, I'm at a bar, and I'm like, hey, uh, who is this Kate person who wears gold and blows bubbles? Like, I just <laughs> like met like this artist. And then you responded, she's awesome, she's my pal, helps with events at the shop, also blows bubbles and wears a gold suit. She has a lot of big dreams, I hope, come true. Yeah. That, to me, sounds like a, a, a thread going through, like, from being very young. Like, like there was this, like, yeah. singer-songwriter who you were like, you're like, boy, you know, my parents really believe in this person. And, like, I don't know, like, you, you hope the best for people. I do, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I just think I grew up with this notion that you're supposed to help people, and that you get involved. Like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe that's the like. A lot like, of people are scared away. of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's messy. Like, especially with people you don't know. Right. You but don't, you don't know what you yeah, don't know. Exactly. Were there any other people that you met, um, kind of like, in your teens or early twenties, who really made an impression on you? Like that, or like someone who you were like, wow, or maybe not just people that you enjoyed, but like maybe someone who you thought you could aspire to be. Was there any kind of like model for you? Well, my uncle had a he. I feel like he had a big impact on me. His about half of my letter press equipment was his. He was a a curator at the at the Tennessee State Museum, and like he was just. You know, I love my family, like my my mom and my dad, but I feel like he was always like the cool uncle. Seems so like a, like a renaissance, like, perfect. Yeah, he was interested in all sorts of things. Yeah, and I mean, you radio know. performance, mm-hmm. printmaking. Yep. How did people feel about you experimenting with creating? My dad did not understand what I was doing at all, but always encouraged me to do it. Mm. My mom was the same way, and they they both. Yeah, they both always totally supported my oddball tendencies. Did you feel the pressure to choose between art and job? No, never. Mm. That's and that's what I'm saying. I think a, a lot of people. Yeah, the vast, vast majority of people, creative or not, but just yeah. like everyone on the planet, basically is is kind of presented like these two pills. Like, do you right. take the red pill or the blue pill? Do right. you take the job or do you be an artist? Yeah, I feel like that's how it's presented to most world. I mean, you having had a a job in art for so long, know that that's a false choice. Yeah, of course. But um, how did you feel about that at that time? Well, I didn't know any better. Like, I just assumed that that was how it was. And when I got to college, and I was like talking to people in the graphic design department, and I was like, "Why are you doing this? You know, like it, you don't seem like you love it." And they're like, "Well." this is the only way that I could like get my parents to get behind art is like, they like, I have to have like an art skill. And I was like, ah, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> Were you like, Oh shit. I should have thought of that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I like it's, it's a joke, but I always say that like God made me a graphic designer for a long time because I like used to make fun of graphic designers um, Wait, how do you make fun of a graphic designer? I mean, you just say you're a graphic designer, and like, oh, oh. shit, <laughs> throw down. <laughs> P.S. I am. 
like don't edit that out um <laughs> we're in a time where like fine art graphic design commercial art fine art is really all the same thing yeah the time period that that i was sort of coming to age was sort of that like crossover where my professors and sort of like the mentors of the world they had grown up in a world where you're like this you're either one or the other and like we you work for a studio mm-hmm. or you're a famous artist basically yeah. was was this like and maybe yeah. it really was like that i mean yeah. it's, it's hard i think to, it was that's the way it was like kind of taught to me growing up yeah but it really took me like exploring around to realize that there's a lot of people that you never heard of who they pay the mortgage they feed their kids by being like a one-person studio yeah nobody really was presenting that option yeah but yeah. it existed that oh, you just didn't really well, know about them yeah i mean they're they are not the ones that get written about yeah that's true um but yeah so i feel like there was there was sort of a sea change that i just happened to be a part of where all of these things can come together but yeah like i mean that's one like there are many things i'm thankful for through my parents because i think they taught me to follow your dream like and don't worry about it like Mm. and so i i have and i think i I think because they never questioned it i never questioned it i mean i do (laughs) (laughs) but what does it feel like to question that kind of that dream that passion have there there been times in your life where you were like what the fuck am i doing yeah yeah i mean i got out of school and i came back to nashville because honestly i didn't know what else to do um because i had a sculpture degree with like uh printmaking sort of minor and sort of a philosophy minor and sort of a theater (laughs) minor i had all like the like trifecta the most marketable (laughs) job skills and you know and honestly i hadn't really like considered what was next i almost dropped out of school honestly because at some point i was like man like what like what am i like i should just go like like be an artist assistant somewhere like for someone who i really really like Mm. and because i was i felt like i was learning great stuff in college but um but it was all sort of it's conceptual yeah theoretical not really yeah yeah exactly and it's a world of like no consequences like no matter what no matter what you do it doesn't matter because in the real world grades don't really matter yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i mean like whether your teacher thinks you did a good job is not really relevant when you have a customer or (laughs) exactly you have a landlord (laughs) (laughs) so there was this this whole i i I was too far in. I was like, ah, well, I'll just stick around and like finish. Cause I won't come. I, knew, I was like, I knew I wouldn't come back. And also knew I wasn't going to go to grad school. Like I was like, get me out. Like I'm ready for whatever the real world is. Like, so what'd you do? I came back here and I was like, okay, I guess I'm like, now I'm an artist. And except I couldn't say that word. It took me like 10 years to like call myself what my, what I am, I suppose. Cause it just, I, and I think that like people who make things, are, it's just uncomfortable. Like you're like, that's, I mean, I guess that's what I think of myself as I make things. I don't, I'm not like an artist. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that means, but I guess that's the problem is like, it's such a broad term 
It's very loaded. And, and exactly. Super loaded. Yeah, it's not minds. like saying doctor. It's like when you say artist, like it could mean I like dance around naked in my studio all day. Well, and you can have someone who literally is a doctor, but they actually they when they look in front of the mirror, they're like, I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I'm an artist. Like I do that at work and then I come home and then I'm I'm my real self. Mm-hmm. What would you do when you come came oh, back? Right, you, right, right, did right. you like like tangibly like what did you do? Uh, so I walked, I took a lot of long walks and I said, what are you going to do with yourself, Bryce? I mean, literally I was like, cause there was no plan. Like, <laughs> like I was like, I was like, I want to make art. I want to, or like, I want to make things. And then I, I've always felt compelled not just to make what I want to make, but I, I think I have this, it's so easy. You're like, f- am I doing this for me or do I have something that's actually making the world a better place? Yeah. And like those Fruit Loop necklaces make the world a better place or, you know, whatever it is. Like this will get to some, I'm sure we'll talk like value, right? Like, like what, what really like, like, I guess we're just brought up like a doctor, you know what they do. They like, they help people not die or like the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. When you're lucky. Well, we were talking on the walk up here about this hotel project that you're working on. Mm-hmm there's a lot of money involved in making a hotel. Yep. A lot. Yep. Uh, and that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Like when you do like your art project, that's like a couple grand, it can fail yeah. and you'll recover. Yeah. But a hotel, there's yeah. like no, no margin for error really. Like, uh, yeah, it can't fail. So like when you say we're going to spend this much money on art, you have to prove the value. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, I though I do think that like these days, people are like people in the business world are are like getting wise to the fact that like there is it's hard to measure but it's sort of a metric that like they can't put on a spreadsheet but the value that art adds is a necessary component to the sort of like brand that a lot of people are trying to build these days we're in this world now of experiential luxury yeah, and people are paying for experiences. Yep, and art drives up. Yeah, the well, number the number of selfies mm-hmm. and <laughs> right the true metric. Well, a lot of art can be used to advertise mm-hmm. another product. I think like ten twenty years ago, people would be like, "That's selling out." But Nobody. I think now it's just like it's like no, like you're getting involved in yeah. like a, a group or a cause that you believe in. Yeah. What was your next thing? Um, well, then I like got a job, <laughs> waiting tables. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, I, so I came down to this neighborhood that we're sitting in, uh, looking for a studio. And so I started looking for the warehouses and then I just went to like, well, like, where's like the industrial part of Nashville. And I just literally started walking up and down the streets looking for empty buildings. And I, this always makes me laugh. I, I'd gone to a family reunion and jumped on a trampoline the weekend before and like twisted my neck and so I could only look one direction and I'm like walking up the street sideways like walking sideways and this guy like peeks his head out of a second story window and he's like what are you doing (laughs) and I tell him I'm looking for a studio and he's like oh well you should you should check this building next to me like the the top half of it is completely empty and he gave me the name of like he gave me the the name of the owners and then so I had to like go into the phone book 
and I just started calling all the people with that name until I got to the right person. How many people do you have to call? I don't know, like 10. <laughs> I remember I went went and signed a lease for this space for something like criminally, like it was nothing. Like it was like so little money, but I was like so broke that like they could have asked for a dollar and I would have been all the money I had in the world. So, <laughs> so I took this like for me, a huge risk and signed this lease. Right? Yeah. 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 Well, did you kind of do it a little bit on gut? Yeah. I just knew that that was the next step. Choose your location wisely because you know, like, like you make compromises on the front end that you'll like live to like have to work around for the rest of your days if you're not careful. Tell us about our town. Okay. So, all right. So we did a project called Our Town Nashville. Uh, gosh, it's been about three or four years ago that we started. Uh, who knows? Uh, it was a three-year project. It started at Room in the Inn. Uh, which is a homeless shelter in my neighborhood. So there's a lot of life skill classes, and they, they had a residency for artists to teach art. They asked me to do that. I think I was like their second year of doing that, and I was super honored to do it. I just wanted to get to know my students, and so I would have them make a self-portrait. With a photograph, you're sort of like stuck with whatever you were, God gave you, like what you look like, what your situation, like what the clothes you can afford, or whatever. But with a self-portrait, you can be a whatever you want. If you want to be a frog or like half frog, half transformer, you can really, I've, I feel like it's just a neat way to see people's like real personality come through. I think they wanted us to have an art show at the end and I didn't want to have a homeless people art show. Like that really just rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And the thing that I learned was like homelessness is not, it's not your like personality. It's not your identity. It's just the fact that you don't have a home. So... It just seemed like, and no one meant anything ill by that. I think it was just like something I didn't want. I wanted to have another reason to have an art show than the fact that they were homeless. So I said to folks, I was like, hey, look, I want to do a project about Nashville and I want it to be a portrait of the city and you guys are doing the first portraits. And so think of your portraits as the beginning like the beginning of a visual conversation. And I'm like, if you take this serious, I'm going to figure out a way to go out into the world and share your portraits with people and then have them have that be the start of this conversation about Nashville. So what was the outcome of our town? Um, well, so we kind of set the form there. Like people made self portraits. We, we took them back to the shop. We would print these blocks as letter letterpress uh, prints and then I like got those back to the people, and that's the show that we had. We had a, a show of all of their their portraits as letterpress prints, and then I used those those prints as like the first prints. So we we built this cart, or had this cart built, um, and built this program where we would go out into the city, and we'd ask other people to make uh, their self portrait with us. But it was uh, distinct in this way that I made these stamps of shapes and textures. And I had people use uh, use the stamps instead of drawing because so many people are afraid of failing at art. And I was also trying to just get people in the moment and and like so I gave I gave everyone the system that no one had any prior experience with, and sat them down at a table with sometimes strangers and said, "Okay, make yourself a portrait." And sort of in that act of like having to figure out how to use these tools 
conversations would start between people like, what are you doing with these stamps? Or people would just watch and people totally forgot that they didn't think that they could make art. Mm. They'd make their self-portrait and then we would ask them to trade it with us. So if they would give their original to us, we would trade them a print that we'd made from somebody else's portrait previously. Oh, so you, it's like it's like a trading card system between yep. people about and people. Like the only way you can get these is through participating, participating, sitting down for like the five to twenty minutes that it takes you to make one of these portraits, and and so people were generating the art for this thing, and then we were, I guess, replicating it and then taking it out to other people. And it was really important to me that it was a visual conversation because I wanted a homeless guy or a woman their their portrait i wanted it to stand alone as their piece of art and their self-representation and i wanted it to be on equal footing as the mayor or jack mm-hmm. white or yeah. anybody like you were everyone was equal in this and you were all like you were all just people and you're all just nashvillians do you think that um that kind of like exchange part of it was an influence for bryce bucks um yeah well i think i i think that that's just like how I'm viewing the world these days is like I, I'm really into like projects that sort of involve some sort of exchange. I don't want to think of the world as transactional, but the transaction is a big part of being a human in the United States of America. So, so what was Bryce Bucks? Physically, it's a it's a money system. It's like we printed our own currency um, as an art project. In case anyone's <laughs> not listening. trying to overthrow the government, not trying to like replace the dollar bill i am fascinated with how people uh decide what is valuable in the world do things have inherent worth or like how do we decide what that is so i had all like i've always had all these questions in my head how do i get bryce bucks i I would be like i heard about bryce bucks i want some yeah what can i do to get some and you would say okay so we we created a mobile currency exchange you go up to the agent and so just like any currency exchange you trade something for the currency what were people trading right so we decided like what what's valuable i decided that my my money was going to be based on the idea of kindness but that's sort of marketable so i was also (laughs) bryce says kindness is sort of marketable um i was like i was like what what do people actually treasure that everyone has and it's like secrets so so you can trade secrets and kind deeds to get Bryce Bucks. And so basically... This is kind of like truth or dare. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> um, so the secrets have to be, you know, like verifiable and within the last three months... I mean, I'm sorry, the kind deeds have to be verifiable within the last three months. The secrets, lifetime, but... So we, I come to you and I say, like, I helped someone across the street and you're like, that's one Bryce Buck. Yeah. I, but I also need a twit pick or it didn't happen. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Like, so you actually write it and we have a book and then you have to sign it and then you swear on like whatever book of your choice. We've got a lot of like religious texts and scientific texts, but you basically are taking an oath that this is true. And I say this, we, it's actually, I have an agent. I can't do it because I, I'm like the originator of the currency. I can generate as much as I want. So there's like a, <laughs> there has to be a transactional person in between so the agent rates rates this thing and you get from 100 to 1000 Bryce bucks uh, based on your 
secret or kind deed and then you can immediately spend it at the store or there are other places around Nashville that will take these for things that they don't they're typically things that are off menu like whatever so whatever like, it is so just like uh, Bitcoin some other people have gotten into accepting that currency that's right because it doesn't have any value until other people take it so yeah um, so that's price books let's let's move forward sure I've got Machine gun questions. All right. All right. I know that you're working on a hotel project. Can you say the name of the hotel project? Sure. It's called Noel. Hotel Noel? Ho- well, yeah, that's what I call it. But it's technically called Noel. Okay. So Noel is a, would you say it's an art hotel or boutique hotel? I would say boutique arts hotel with sort of like a creative uh, art side. Yeah. Nice. So you're working on that. Yeah. And that is that like your big project right now? It is. I guess technically I'm like the art director. So there's an artist who's doing a hotel project and was asked to do a, a mural inside. He's known for his mural work. In doing the project, uh, he deviated from the original sketch. Right. And they told him he had to redo it. Yeah. And there was other issues involved, too, that I won't go into. He wasn't always professional. So where did this go wrong in your eyes? And, well, and how would someone who gets commissioned to do hotel work think about this? Yeah, I think, number one, you have to, like, so when you get commissioned, uh, public art, commercial art, whatever, I mean, I think you're you're stepping into a different world than, like, straight-up studio fine art where you are, you, in that in that world, you are the final arbiter of, like, what's right. And I think it's, you have to decide what kind of uh, relationships you're willing to take on. And I think when you are in these sorts of situations, you have to, you have to decide, are you going to be hundred percent fine artist? Like you are the final call on this. Are you okay with a situation that there is another sort of final or at least partner in the final decision of what, what is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think establishing that for yourself and for the client, if there is a client, is really important to do at the beginning. You were talking about like street art, graffiti art, where you are the last arbiter of yeah. what you do. There's an interesting situation in Seattle. I, I believe it was Amazon purchased a building. Mm-hmm. Inside that building or that plaza, whatever it was, there was street art. and That had been made. That had been made you know, just while the building was... Not, derelict. not abandoned, but just like nobody was there. Yeah. And now Amazon's like, well, we're going to keep that. Yeah. Because um, it's cool. Right. And it's in our foyer or it's in our lobby or whatever it is. Yeah. And then people were kind of in an uproar about it because they're like, what? Like Amazon didn't pay for these murals. Now right. they're murals. They're not right. graffiti anymore. Right. Um, but they were never commissioned. And right. they were also never legal. Right. <laughs> they were not allowable. They... It was someone coming in and making something that they didn't own their canvas. Sure. None of the, I don't believe any of the artists came forward and said it was wrong. Um, but people in Seattle take those things very seriously. I'm curious how you feel about that. Having done commissioned public art. Yeah. And also probably you've, kinda, you've done like stuff yeah. in the environs without full permission too. That's right. Well, I think, I mean, it seems pretty clear cut to me. Like you, as a, as a street artist, you are using the world as your canvas. If I had been one of those artists, I don't feel like I could have gotten too upset about that. I, I think it, because you put your stuff 
somewhere and it like things happen to it and like the world changes around it like there's no i think in the world of street art there's no illusion of permanence i guess like a a selfie of jeff bezos and like <laughs> right. my tag is trending right now yeah and that would really fuck with their head yeah yeah <laughs> it would be so crazy when you're doing street art you're not doing it for money you're doing it for love and for that like impact that it has on on the community and i think that that value still mm. like lives on as long as that as long as it's drawing a breath how do you approach management over a creative project yeah i i think that that's the absolute hardest part of this whole game um because you come in like as an artist you usually come into these things with a vision of how you might want it to go and you're sort of entrusting your your reputation your vision your whatever to someone else that you hope that they take it as seriously as you do and carry it to a good place so uh these are things I don't necessarily like maybe do what I say, not what I do, but um, to get the best out of the situation, you need to trust people. And I think what I'm learning is that you need to set clear expectations of what you're trying to achieve for the people. And then you pick people who you trust that can do a good job, then let them get after it. Like, and I think that that gets you, to a certain level working that way at some point you do have to have some sort of management like you have to have someone who's like that's a f- full-time job for several studios yeah yeah and i think that so you have to be at a certain level like to be ready to jump into that but what you get for paying for it is quality control exactly keeping things on schedule mm-hmm. having things like communicated well with the client yeah uh, making sure expenses don't go crazy. Yep. When there are multiple people working on a project, somebody has to like have the whole picture in their mind. And the other part of it too is that the client, if if need, you don't have a manager, they get exhausted trying to manage you. You yeah. There's only so many hours of productive time in a day, and do you want your people to be doing the work or talking about doing the work? That's a really hard one in the creative fields. Well, um. I think I think that's a good end point. All right. And Bryce, in your mind, what is the most important part of what you do, or why do you do all this? I think it's to connect people. Like the art is a catalyst to bring people together. But um, when your life is over and you look back on it, you're not gonna you're not gonna think about the poster you made or the piece of work that you made. It's I think it's the the interactions that you have with your community and your friends and your family. And like, that's to me, the true measure of, of, of what we do. And it just keeps coming back to that. Just the people. Investing in the people around you does indeed have a return because well, the right relationship is really an investment in yourself. They say that you're an amalgam of the top five people you hang out with the most, so you need to be careful about who you hang out with. Be choosy. But at the same time, you can expose yourself to a lot of people, and you can invest in far more than five people. Uh, We've talked a lot about the thousand true fans methodology here on the show. I personally follow that. 
Uh, and I like to think that I'm an amalgam of you, the listeners. I've invested a lot of my own time, money, energy into Culture Hustlers in order to have a relationship with you. I personally have a mission in life. I want to get to know as many people as I can, as much as I can, before I die. And what started off for me as a road trip of conversations with strangers turned into more, turned into a podcast, turned into a travelogue, turned into a documentary series, turned into what is now an entire business school for artists by artists. You can come on the road with me. You can interview your favorite artist or entrepreneur. You can help me make the podcast in video shorts. You can invite me just come to your town, smoke a butt and drink a beer. You can just message me on Instagram or Facebook. Tell me your name, your city, your business, if you have one. Get involved. And if you like this podcast about investing in relationships, I want you to check out my friend Charles' podcast on the origins of Thanksgiving. An attitude of gratitude, people. Community celebrations from English settlers in early America. And, of course, it's never what they taught you in school. Check out his podcast, Iconography, on iTunes, Radio Public, and Stitcher. It's just one of my fellow podcasts in the Hub and Spoke Audio Collective, where we are all, we're all friends. We're all building a relationship with each other in a collective. It's actually one of three collectives that I'm part of right now, the Hub and Spoke Audio Collective, the Civil Newsroom Collective, and I'm building a collective of mobile incubators. Hit me up if you want advice on collectives. I have done many in my life. And I mentioned at the top of the show that this is the final episode in season one, and we're going to a different format in season two, which I'm super stoked on. Season one was all interview style on how artists create value in the world. Season two is about how the world values art. So the other side of the equation with lots of word on the street and box pop. So for example, for our first step, which will be dropping within the month, the city of Seattle invited me to install the mobile incubator on top of a condemned bridge downtown. And 100,000 people showed up. And we, <laughs> that's like a tenth of the population. And we asked them about the value of public space and taxpayer money for the arts. And then literally 48 hours later, they started tearing that bridge down. You can follow the travels and the live stories of the Mobile Incubator on Culture Hustlers Instagram, Facebook, and culturehustlers.com. You can check out more podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. We also have an enormous web map of art and business stories from across the U.S. and a pretty badass travelogue, I gotta say. <laughs> I think it's pretty wicked cool. And one of the people that I've met in my travels is Katie Martini here in Boston. She was our editor today. Thank you, Katie. Our theme is by the very talented Mr. Otis McDonald, and this is Lucas Spivey wishing you lots of love from Pie Town in Nashville, Tennessee. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.